thing, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready for some laughs? Are you? Tonight we have a chance to say, yeah, you're right. We're too extreme, we're too wild, we're too out of control, we're too full of our own shit. Or we have a chance to say, hey, fuck you, you're wrong. Fuck you, we're right. Still waiting for the bestiality videos to get their own category at the Adult Video Awards. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost. How the fuck am I funny? Dave Martin. What have we got here? A fucking comedian. And Kathleen McGee. And I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you. Can you dig it? Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Kathleen McGee, and Dave Martin. It is 2012. Can you believe it? We are coming to you like we do every single week here from the XM Studios at Toronto. And uh, no holes bar talk show. It's a new year and we're doing new things, yeah. right? Okay, right. great. Uh, we are pre-recording this show. Uh, this is the best intro to a show ever, Dave. Uh, do you want me go. to do it again? No, let's okay, not do it again. Right, it's a new right. year. It's a new life. It's 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 anything goes two point zero. Things, yes, yes. Um, we are pre-recording this show because of being uh, the new year. The studio is pretty much shut down for two weeks, so we want everyone to know that uh, we are not hungover because of why, Dave? Well, actually, I am hungover, but I mean, <laughs> but that's just a uh, regular. That's uh, built in. Yes, um, but uh, let me just say, I, I'm sure that I uh, uh, I had an amazing show in London, Ontario. For uh, New Year's and uh, and where and where were you New I Year's? I was in Mississauga, oh, Mississauga great. with Ian Sirota. It was a great little co-feature. Uh, someone got blown in the bathroom. It was a good time had by all. Oh, good. Um, and uh, yeah, so we can really we can't really predict. No. How hungover I might be no. today. But I but want I people, we can do like a death pool for you, like a, on a hungover scale kind there of thing. There is probably a comics death pool, and I'm probably uh, You're probably in it, Dave. Oh, I'm, yeah. Get out. Not probably. You're probably. at the top. I don't think, no, I'm definitely not at the top. You're the there's, top. there's other people that are at the top, and uh, and they still manage to still walk the earth, and then there's That's other... right. Like Kung Fu, walk yeah, the earth. Yeah. Exactly. That's what you are, the Kung Fu of comedy, Dave. Oh. I don't. <laughs> so I'm going to be found in Thailand with uh, some uh, black stockings around my neck, and I'm trying to. Like you can afford to go to Thailand. You're just going to go to Chinatown in an alley. I could and try to speak Thai. I could afford to go to Thailand once. Yeah. And not come back. One way. Yeah. Yeah. There's a one way. Well, you don't need to, a return yeah. ticket if you're going to go kill yourself in Thailand. Well, it would be death by misadventure. Why That's misadventure? Not yeah. for you, Dave. By adventure for you. Whoa. For most people, it would be miss, but for you, it'd be adventure. Okay. All right. Uh, this week's show, we're doing a little bit something different. We're going to play uh, some clips from our favorite comics uh, from the past of Anything Goes and the future because uh, our show stopped in June after about uh, a year, and we didn't get to everybody we wanted to. So uh, coming up in January, we have some big guests and some guests that weren't on the first round of the show. So we're excited about that. Uh, first comic that we're going to play a clip of is Mark Walker, uh, originally from Nova Scotia, now makes his home in Toronto. Uh, he was not on this show the first round, but he will be in in February or March. Uh, what do you want to say about Mark Walker, Dave? Uh, he's a, a, a very funny impressionist, but yep. uh, he doesn't really, he doesn't do too many impressions uh, anymore in his no. act. He, you know what the thing about Mark is? Mark can do a calm Robin Williams. And anyone that knows anything about impressions, that's a big thing because it's very easy to be a like a hyperactive version of the character that you're doing. But when you can oh, do that, oh god, look at me! Over yeah. here, I'm Robin Williams. <laughs> yeah, I don't that know what that my, was. That was Robin Williams. Okay, because I said it was. Oh, okay, all right. But also, <laughs> also, Mark is the kind of guy that doesn't always have to say who the impression is. And people know, and people usually know. And it's right. not like most impressionists are That's like, introducing. "Here, this is my example of Arnold Schwarzenegger if he was putting away your groceries." Okay, here's my here's my uh, here's my impression. I always do it. You ready? This is Sean Connery. Okay, Bond, right? All right. Here's Sean. Money, Penny. That's it. That's all. That's all yes. I have. But you always tell people who it is. I have you. to because if I just go money, penny, people think I'm just slow on the bus. No, it sounds like, you're, sounds, like you're, sounds like you're passing a stone. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Okay, let's so, play the clip. Hey, we'll play the clip. This is uh, Mark Walker, and the clip is called "Pimp My Pope." So what else has been going on in the big bad world? Hey, got a new pope. That's exciting. Uh, things always work out great whenever the Germans take charge. Can't wait for this. <laughs> First trip to Poland's gonna be a little awkward for him. <laughs> for a couple of reasons. First thing I'd change if I was a new pope, that god-awful funeral. That's what I do. Wasn't that the grisliest thing you ever saw? For a week they had poor John Paul II laid out there like a fucking subway party platter. 
carting him around from place to place like he was Adam West Batmobile on a mall tour in 1975. God, I am so sold on cremation after that. I'd be like a new pope. Cremate me. Put a pope hat on the urn. I don't care. Just don't leave me out there like a market salmon for a goddamn week. Appreciate that. And let a pope retire if a pope wants to retire. What was all that bullshit about? John Paul II, four years ago, went to the Vatican and said, if you haven't noticed, I really don't feel very well. <laughs> Thought maybe I could step down, let somebody healthier run things. Would that be okay? Good old compassionate Vatican looked him square in the eye. Sorry about that, asshole. You're just going to have to die as Pope. Actually, I think it came out more like, Sorry about that, asshole. I'm afraid that you're just going to have to die as Pope. Because they're compassionate men of God, you see. That's why. Ah. Uh, they should have let him quit, you know, let him retire. Buy him a Winnebago. Hell, he earned it. He'd go fishing, have some fun. Could have had little bumper stickers on his Winnebago. Poping ain't easy. <laughs> I'm too pooped to pope. Could have had some fun. Uh, but we got the new guy now. Uh, things are going to be great now. Woohoo! Combining the forward progressive thinking of Catholicism with the happy-go-lucky demeanor of the Germans. Yum, diddy, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> Anybody else smell a sitcom in the rain? <laughs> Turned in Tuesday nights for mine pontiff. God knows we have to find a way to turn the young people on to Jesus. <laughs> So I'm just ticked off. They had a black cardinal. I wanted him to be Pope. That would have been the greatest day in the history of the Catholic Church. They blew it. Yep. Wouldn't it be great to scare the living daylights out of every racist hillbilly on the planet, man? Wouldn't that be? Imagine that. Everybody tuned into CNN. Big puff of white smoke. Then a black fucking Pope walk out. Oh, yeah. Just an Alabama all at once. What in the fuck? I'm starving out. Yeah, man, that's gonna be some changes made around here. <laughs> My name is Pope Malcolm Tan. <laughs> Start chucking condoms out to the crowd. Oh yeah, it's gonna be <laughs> we got a new Pope, baby. You'd hear the Pope mobile coming long before you saw it. <laughs> That's right, Pimp My Pope. That's what I want. That was Mark Walker with Pimp My Pope. Uh, I remember that bit where he becomes Iron Man. It's quite a little funny little little joke there, Dave. <laughs> yes, it, yeah. yes, it is, Darren. Good thing I threw yeah. to you. Good no, thing good, I threw yeah. to you. Can I say that the, 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 your, your, uh, your impression of Take the Shot is more... Uh, uh, take Billy, the shot! Take yeah, the shot! It's Billy D. Williams from Nighthawks. You that's know, right. That's who it was. I don't have to introduce it. You do. You, you said it was uh, I didn't John Travolta from I, Pulp Fiction. I, I said that to see if you picked up on the fact it was more Billy D. Williams. Who was the villain in Nighthawks. Do right. you remember? Yeah, of course. Stallone. No, it wasn't. Stallone was the other cop. Rutger I know, but Hauer he was, was in that movie. That's what I'm saying. But I asked you who was the villain, and you said, you yeah, just Stallone. Me. You just told me. Rucker Hauer. <sighs> Yeah, Why'd you that answer was, your own question? Oh, you were supposed to stay Rucker Howard. This is that was Rucker annoying. Howard was People are not going to be listening at home to this. It's oh, just, like we're an old married couple, oh, and fuck. I'm, you know, you're getting it fisted just, on a Saturday night, and it's not. No, I'm too old for this. How many old married couples do you know that like? Oh, it's Saturday night. They might fist. Don't judge old people. Yeah. Old people do stuff. They were around before fisting. All right. Before. How can fisting. you be around before fisting? Before fisting. Fisting. My grandmother never brought up fisting once. <laughs> With the Thanksgiving table? That's right. How do you, you think know, you get earlier, the stuffing in, Dave? Well, you fist. You got to fist it, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you're the fisting That's gourmet. right. That's right. My grandmother invented the fisting on the turkey. I don't think and so. then someone at the table saw it and went, hey, I might be able to use that <laughs> sure. later on. I was looking at that turkey and I just thought of uh, my wife's buttocks. Or cunt. Or con Dave. What? Really? This is supposed to be a New Year's show. Like, we got to be professional. It's still 2000 and what year 12, is it? 12, Dave. It's 2000. 
Right now it is. We got to act oh. like it's 2012. Okay, we're acting like it's 2012. That's right. We're going to play another clip now from uh, Kenny Robinson, a great comic uh, based out of Toronto. I just did an eight-week tour with Kenny across the country with Kathleen McGee, who is on the West Coast celebrating her Christmas uh, break. And uh, we'll be returning to the show on our January 11th show. Uh, big show that week. Who do we have in the studio, Dave? We have Terry Clement and... Uh, and uh, Kathleen McGee. Oh, is and Kathleen, back. Yeah, Kathleen will be here. Okay, that's right. It'll be a big, big, big special show. You're right. So uh, this is Kenny Robinson with uh, his clip called "Friendly Fire." I was recently down in uh, in the United States, and uh, I was doing a show there in Buffalo, and they they booed me because I was Canadian. That was all. They, I said, "Why are you booing me for being Canadian?" They said, "Cause you pussies wouldn't go to Iraq with us." You know, and I'm thinking, well, shit, I'm glad we didn't go to Iraq. We can't even handle little bastards at the Scarborough Town Center. What the fuck are we going to do in Iraq? <laughs> you know, and then I said to him, I said, well, shit, man, we went to Afghanistan with you guys, and we were there, what, two weeks before you dropped bombs and killed four of our fucking guys? You know, and he said, well, you know, sorry, but, you know, sorry if your first party doesn't sound, you know, any better than the second one, right? And then he said, well, that was just friendly fire. And I said, well, that's a problem with American military. You got smart bombs, but dumb fucking hillbillies pressing the buttons and making go boom. If you don't believe me, go hunting with your vice president Cheney and see what the fuck happens. I think we're fighting this whole war on terrorism the wrong way, you know, because I, I was doing a little bit of reading, and apparently all the guys that sign up to become martyrs and do the suicide bombing thing, they're told that when they die and go to paradise, they get 72 virgins. That's the reward, 72 virgins. You know, and I'm thinking, well, shit, man, instead of sending over soldiers, let's send over prostitutes. Because if these guys will blow themselves up for a fucking virgin, what would they do for somebody that knows what the fuck they're doing? Because <laughs> if you want me to die for a cause, don't tell me my, my, my reward is 72 virgins, because I can't think of anything more than I want less than 72 fucking virgins. You hear me, guys? 72 whiny, needy, insecure virgins for the rest of your life. Do you love me? Do you promise not to tell the other martyrs what we did? Do you think I'm prettier than Virgin 74? This hurts. I'm bleeding. No, if you want me to die for a cause, get me 72 girls and take it up the ass without Vaseline. That's what I want. Give me 72 women that when they suck your dick, they throw their head back and go... Before they stop. Now that's worth dying for, folks. Because I never had that on earth. I'd sure like to get it in paradise. We got parents in the house tonight? Are you street proofing your kids? That's what I'm doing, man. There's so many perverts out there. I'm street proofing my kids. I'm making sure that my kids are such rude, obnoxious little bastards that no pervert would ever want to take them for a car ride. I'm teaching my kids to be disrespectful. Like some parents have cold words, right? You know, if mommy and daddy ever die in a car accident, don't go with anybody unless you hear the cold word. My kid's cold word, you're not my fucking parents! Well, dad, what if it's the police? I say, don't, and they say, you get in mom's car, my car, Grammy's car, you don't get in nobody else's car. What about the police? You don't get in the police car unless you go fighting, kicking, and screaming like daddy, straight up. And I feel sorry for any pervert that rolls up on my child. I can see him, hey, little girl, would you like to go for a car ride? I'll buy you an ice cream. She's going to be like, what, in that piece of shit car? I don't think so. <laughs> well, wouldn't you like to have an ice cream? No. Wouldn't you like to have a bigger dick and the ability to have a relationship with women your own age? <laughs> I am so paranoid of my children being abducted, I only let them play with better-looking kids. Daddy, can I go to the park with Lucy? No, honey, Lucy's a little bit maggoty. Wait till that Jennifer wants to go with, huh? That way there's any freaks there, I know that you'll be the one coming home.
right, that was Kenny Robinson with Friendly Fire. And now uh, someone that didn't get on the show in the first round but is going to be with us on the first show back in January and on the 11th will be Terry Clement. Terry's a great comic. Uh, consider himself more of a psychedelic comic, I guess you would I don't think. Is that a genre? Well, no, but I mean, he uh, he loves to experiment and do uh, crazier stuff on stage. And he did do that big tour with Ben Miner, the psychedelic tour. and. But he doesn't shy away from the word alternative, though. No, no, no. But he definitely doesn't use I would, that as I a... Would, I would definitely call him an alternative comic. Yeah. But, but he does do uh, comedy clubs, too. So right. I think that's always the big testament to what kind of comic you are when you can cross over and do, like, weird shit yep. in a comedy club uh, setting. And so, plus, yeah. he does a lot of musical uh, kind of numbers in his show, as well as, you know, not straight stand-up, but stand-up. So we're going to play a musical number now called Lick Ninja. This is Terry Clement. Darling, you're looking at me with those bedroom eyes Running your hands up and down my thighs You're wondering, is it true? Well, you're gonna find out when I go down on you That I'm a lick ninja, lick ninja Oh, oh, a lick ninja, lick ninja Oh, oh, I'm gonna get in there at first and grab onto your thingy Then lash my tongue around till it gets all numb and stingy gonna be funnilingus when I give you cunnilingus then you know the reason why I feel I have the right to sing this Lick Ninja I'm gonna go straight for your bushy and I won't forget your tushy and I'll make your heart come mushy when I say I love you I'm gonna lick you cause I'm a Lick Ninja Lick Ninja oh, oh, a Lick Ninja Lick Ninja oh, oh, I'll give you face so hot it will send ya Lick Ninja I'm gonna Lick ya before I stick it in ya Lick Ninja Make it feel like you're going insane Sending horny messages up to your brain Once you had a Lick Ninja you will never be the same again Lick you like a lesbian in the federal pan That was Terry Clement, uh, and if you want to get any more information on Terry, you can always go to our Facebook page where we will be posting all the links to everyone you hear on today's show with a website or a Twitter feed or somehow or some way to get a hold of them. Um, so we're going to go to a break now, and when we come back, we have clips from Stevie Ray Fromstein, uh, Craig Campbell, Stuart Silver, Glenn Wool, and a few others, so stay tuned. And you thought your mother catching you masturbating was uncomfortable. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. Still waiting for the bestiality videos to get their own category at the Adult Video Awards. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. All right, uh, this is Anything Goes 2.0 with Dave Martin. We're doing our kind of year-end wrap-up of the year in comedy and some clips from our show and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we had a special guest come in in June, Stevie Ray Fromstein, who has a podcast called The Holy Atheist. If you want information on that, go to holyatheist.com. Um, it was a really cool interview. We only uh, aired it once, so we want to yeah, air it again. It, it, yeah, usually our show reruns five times during the week. Right. But, but this, for, uh, this interview, for uh, whatever reasons that we won't get into right now, uh, uh, was only aired once, and this is your uh, chance to uh, catch it again. Right. And nothing says, you know, after Christmas than some atheism. Yeah, some you know holy that. atheism. Yeah, Merry Non-Christmas to all those non-believers. Here's your little oh, gift. Goodbye, Christopher Santa. Hitchens. Yes, goodbye, Christopher Hitchens. Which I think Stevie was a song Ray. on the Yellow Brick Road album, I think. Goodbye, Christopher Hitchens. Oh, you love your references. I do love my references. They're That's so misplaced. Though, I know. But, okay. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Stevie Ray Fromstein. Here we go. Stevie Ray Fromstein is here with us. Uh, if you do not know who he is through stand-up terms, you would have definitely seen his stuff on television as a writer in the past for Roseanne, Grace Under Fire, and most recently a new show coming out in Canada called Single White Spenny. Isn't that what it's called, Single White yeah, Spenny? Yeah, right. that's it. Um, from Spenny versus Kenny. Uh, thanks for coming. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, so we were talking before we even got into the booth, and I always find it funny whenever three comics get together, we're already right deep into it 30 seconds in. We were talking about Second City or SCTV. and well, talk about SCTV. Right, yeah. and, and how it, some things don't hold up over time when it comes to comedy. That's what Dave's point was. Well, I was saying, well, the one thing point I was making was that um, 
we were talking about uh, what, what was the show we were saying about like just uh, how something how some we we're talking about you you were in the, some early years uh, like guys with uh, Al Al Ray and writing some sketch comedy. I just oh, right, said a right. lot of like stand up is fairly topical and in sketch comedy a lot of it can be just fairly timeless. Right. And I said unlike some shows like you know Mad TV and SCTV where they were all parody shows and they were always parodying television. Um, I just find that a lot of SCTV, for me personally, and I said a lot, I know a lot of you know comedy nerds might kind of want to crucify me for this, but a lot of SCTV stuff does not hold up for me anymore. Well, I think in general comedy doesn't age well. You can look at some of the funniest people, the most legendary comics, the most legendary shows, and uh, and it's you know maybe you could admire Charlie Chaplin, but you don't laugh that much at even Charlie. Most of the time, if they were that influential, they've been they've been mimicked and uh, duplicated so many times that you go back. I remember when I was a kid, I saw this thing with a bunch of silent movies with my sister. And she said, well, that, I just, I've seen this on the Three Stooges. Right, yeah. right. You know, so it's, because it's so influential, we've seen it a million times when we go back to look at it again. I think that's a lot of it. And even when it comes to stand-up, a lot of it doesn't stand up over time. I've always found when it's something that's very personal to someone— or it involves pain, it's timeless. Like when you talk about Richard Pryor or Carlin, a lot of it, the stuff that he's just, they're doing that's kind of fluffy and nice doesn't stand up over time. But whenever they're talking, especially Richard Pryor, about pain and the anguish of his relationships or him growing up, that's timeless. But when he's talking about sexual positions and things like I know it's timeless, but it, it, sometimes it can come across old. I don't, in I, his I, presentation. I still think Class Clown and Occupation Fool and those little David years for George Carlin still hold up for me as, you know, as fluffy as they might be. Um, and, and, but it's, it's funny that like the, even on the AMFM George Carlin album, he's talking about how, Hey, in the future, they'll even have the divorce game or they'll have the <laughs> right. divorce court. Right. And they do have that show. There is a divorce court yeah. show on. It's not, right. I mean, in his scenario, this is like early seventies. He's talking about more of a game show. Right. But now they actually, when sort of court TV shows came. I mean, that's part of the problem too. Is like, you look at a movie like Network. Right, which yeah. was a, yeah. a wild satire, for sure. and then it's you don't see the satire anymore because that's what television is mm -hmm. and reality television, and it just seems so wild at the time, if uh, people ever saw it, and uh, you know. But now it's uh, just become reality. But they do see it in little three-minute clips on Facebook. I see almost weekly someone post that clip of him freaking out at the end. You oh, know really? that one classic scene. Someone's on Facebook. Wow, have you seen this? Oh, it's great. like, I guess there is generations of people that haven't seen that one, uh, you know, important scene where he freaks out. Yeah, the one where he gets shot at the end? No, no, no. When he's in the studio and he's having the meltdown. And That's he... in like the first, like, 15, 20 minutes of it. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it, but I mean, I, but it's like now you watch Network and you're like, holy shit, this has come true. But that's only because I sort of have that perspective of when, like, from the early '80s, where it wasn't even all that true, and it hadn't gotten so over the top with, you know, uh, television mocking, right. you know, or, or the the blur between entertainment and news wasn't so there. Right, but that's what you can't experience when you look at it again is that impact that it had at the time, because now it's it's uh, just a it's a very good movie, but you don't catch the wild satire anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Now, for you, you know, a lot of your writing started 20 years ago and you're still writing. So it's a different game now than what it was 20 or 25 years ago. And for writing for television, American versus Canadian, I mean, right, that alone is different. But just in time-wise, it's accelerated. Comedy has become a lot more bluer in what you can get away with and, and shocking. And what's that like for you versus, like, when you started with, like, a Roseanne or Grace Under Fire? Yeah, I mean, things are much, move much faster now. They're, they're, you can go further you know, when I first started writing on Roseanne, you 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 know you could barely say anything, mm -hmm. and now even on network television, you can, uh, especially you watch uh, uh, Two and a Half Men. You know, there's all sorts of jokes that we could have never done on Roseanne. Well, that whole show's innuendo too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, every all... everything either has like a drinking reference or a uh, it's every line is a put down to another character on right, the show. Right. Exactly. You know? But do you think a but, show like Roseanne, because they say All in the Family could never happen today, right. right? Like they were thinking about trying to have a special about five years ago and the script was just not able to be done. So they kind of put it to bed or supposedly mm. that was the rumor. And almost the same thing with Roseanne. Would a show like that be impossible today because of what it's competing against in terms of shock value? Is it as shocking to have that? Or maybe she started it all. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you, there's probably a variation of it that would work today. Mm hmm you know, there's been all sorts of shows that are similar to Roseanne. Uh, 
you know, which was, you know, so uh, I, I think you could, you probably couldn't do Roseanne today, but you could probably do a very Roseanne-ish show. Right. I think I think a lot of Roseanne. I don't think people want to give the amount of credit to Roseanne that she actually deserved because I mean there was a show, um, and they, they try to make a really big deal out of it. I know like Lenny Clark, a huge comic out of Boston in the mm-hmm. mid mid eighties. Yeah, yeah. He had a sitcom, and it was called Lenny, and it was all and it was almost like uh, I think it was out before Roseanne. But he was a garbage man in it, and it yep. was a very working-class sort of sure. show. And I remember seeing, like, previews for it on Entertainment Tonight, and you see Lenny Clark lean back, him go sort of going like, hey, you know why I think that people are ready for a show like this? You know, speaking yeah. to the working-class sort of people. And it lasted for maybe about a season or so, and then Roseanne came along, and then I think people sort of related a lot to her, maybe not so much to the situation. And I think... Uh, well, I think Roseanne had all the elements, you know, you'd... you'd for something to become a classic, uh, it has to be well written, and you need a great supporting cast. Mm-hmm. You, you, I'm, you can't think of one show that you think of today as a classic show, like even everything from Dick Van Dyke to Everybody Loves Raymond, where the entire cast wasn't superb and everybody was funny. And uh, that yeah, one I of the think things... very much so. You're very much right about that. Like Lucille Ball would be a good example. The first show yeah, versus Mary one Tyler last. Moore, and, yep. you know, all these shows, and Roseanne. And one thing about Roseanne is she didn't mind how funny anybody else was on her show. Exactly. She just didn't want to be insulted without having a comeback. That was her only thing, okay. which is reasonable. That's fair, But yeah. But she would allow uh, everybody to be as funny as they possibly... She loved it when, like, Laurie Metcalf, she thought Laurie Metcalf and John Goodman, they were very funny, and she loved it when they were funny and never minded how funny they could get. But you watch a lot of other sitcoms, like Grace Under Fire, right? Where she didn't want anybody else to be funny, right? And she wasn't that funny. No. But that's the same sort of well, thing with John Stewart too. I think John Stewart's very pretty. Yes. Uh, you know, he's very at ease letting other right. supporting cast be funnier than him. Because, like I said, at the end of the day, it's the Daily Show with John Stewart. It's not. Like, hey, well, it's interesting. Day. I've never heard that about Roseanne, though. That little part about the fact that she wanted everyone else to be as funny as her, which is a huge factor in longevity for sure. Because everyone who watches that show may not like. Roseanne's character as their favorite, right? Like Seinfeld. Some people liked, you know, uh, Jerry the most. Some people like Kramer the most. They exactly. didn't dislike I mean, those Seinfeld characters. Seinfeld is another perfect example. Yeah. You look at that cast, and everybody was in, uh, was incredible. Really funny people, and they were all allowed to be funny. Yeah. Now, which it must be easier to write for because the, the universe is much bigger when you have five characters that you can write about and allowed to make them funnier. There's a number of other shows where the uh, supporting cast... Not only they're not really allowed to be funny, but if you write something funny for them, by the end of the week, the star will be doing right, that line. Right, right, And uh, that's got to be hard. you know they just don't understand. And a lot of these people were comics, but they just don't understand that it's not about you anymore being funny on stage. It's about the show right. being funny. So that's one thing. Now I just want to talk about this quickly because there was an article in New York Magazine where Roseanne came out. And it's a pretty lengthy article, and she just generally talks about her experience with the startup of the show and being a woman and having to fight for everything and and also being let down by other women in the business who didn't really kind of stand with her. And, you know, we were talking before the show started, and, you know, has things changed in the last 20 years? And you said the great line about, you know, has it changed in the last 2,000 years, really? And do you think it has changed much? Well, I mean, I guess uh, if you think about the show Mad Men, right. that, uh, one of my favorite shows, and it took place like 50, 60 years ago, and yet it, it's like a different universe right. in terms of the relationship between men and women. So I guess things have changed in that respect. But the way women, uh, what you told me Roseanne said was women don't support women. Yes. I think, you know, there's whatever the dynamic is among women probably has not changed necessarily because a lot of it has to do with just the nature of the sexes perhaps. I don't know. Well, Dave thinks that, too, because we talked about that. Remember you were saying What do I about, think? I don't think that. What were we talking about? Yeah, Sorry, yeah. I drifted but away we, from well, Earlier this afternoon, we talked about that, and you brought up that point about women are not will step over a woman in, in show business more quickly than a man will step over. And I personally disagree. I think in business, because my background is business, people will step over anyone, man or woman, Darren? to get ahead. Well, I, I mean, the thing is, I've never been a woman working with women. Right. You know, I don't know what it's like to be a woman working right. with women. I do know, and, you know, people are sensitive about these kind of topics. But sure. from what women have told me, that they often have difficulty when they're working with other women in terms of there's a competitive thing going on. Mm-hmm. 
you know, uh, guys uh, can work a bit differently together. I'm not trying to be sexist. I, I still want to get laid, you know. But, right. uh, you know, <laughs> not from this observing, show. I'm just observing things. Right. But I, w- I would think it just it goes all the way back to like a schoolyard where like girls might fight over like oh the whoever the good looking boy in school is and uh, who they're gonna have as their boyfriend because I think that they're brought up with thinking that oh I have to have a boyfriend and then when it comes to uh, and then when they get into the business world then the 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 boyfriend is at the top and it's not it's more seen as a as a business climb but it's it there's still that sort of business relationship probably almost all of this eventually just goes back to the most basic animal aspect of of what it is to be a, a creature yeah. you know to be a to a human animal so so much of our things are dictated i think by you know just our basic biological makeup and mm-hmm. and stuff that we don't it gets buried within the culture and 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 the you know what we are today but you know as animals we haven't changed I just, I, I just, I've heard complaints from other female comics that, that, that rarely do other female comics go up to go to bat for uh, another female really? comic, and they're, and they're more likely to like, you know, pick from a group of guys when it comes to finding a team of writers. I, I know some examples of, of right. that happening, but uh, I, I mean, just... even, even a month ago, they put out that big article about how many women writers there are in all the top talk shows, right? Like Jimmy Fallon versus John oh. Stewart versus. And the grid was pretty shocking yeah. on how few there are. What uh, what was now the differences between like uh, Grace Under Fire and Roseanne? I mean, I I have to admit that you know I don't think those shows were ever made for me, and I have to admit that I never watched them. I mean, I guess I admired what they did as far as you know, I watched Roseanne, in, but I did not watch Grace Under Fire very right. much. Yeah, no, I feel the same way as you. I never watched Roseanne until I got a job on the show. Right, they uh, they sent me a bunch of episodes. And I had to catch up. I thought it was a really well written show. But I mean, I was more, uh, I'm more attracted to things like Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's right. more my style. But I got a job on Roseanne, and that led to a bunch of other jobs. I was very fortunate. Mm-hmm. But on shows similar, it's like you get on a certain escalator, and right. it's very hard to convince somebody that, that you can be something else or do something else. So uh, Yeah, like once you're stuck in like the tween market, like uh, Brent Piaskowski, right. I'm not saying he's stuck there, but a, a, a comic from, uh, from a long time ago now is pretty much a writer. He's not stuck in the tween market, but once you're successful in something, it's easier to get a job in that Absolutely. category than, oh, now I'm going to go write for Curb when I used to write for 12-year-olds. So apparently my voice is uh, strong Southern women. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote also on Reba, Reba McIntyre <clears throat> show. And what was that like? That was really good. I mean, she was the nicest star that mm-hmm. I've ever worked with. She was just phenomenal. So Really, so, and like it goes from the top down. When you have the star of a show who is like, doesn't like any nonsense, doesn't act out ever, doesn't right. believe in it. Nobody else can. And uh, she really appreciated doing the show. She li- thought it was, she was fortunate to be mm-hmm. doing something she loved, and she was, uh, she was wonderful. Now, it was a great experience. At all through these times, because not a lot of people know you do stand-up, right? Most people in, in right. our even even comics, know you as a writer, didn't know you did very much stand-up. Now, all through these times, were you still doing stand-up, or that was the start, then you kind of concentrated on writing, and now you're back to doing stand-up? I, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, I started uh, at Yuck Yucks here in Toronto. With, right. uh, Mark Bresson uh, was very uh, responsible for la- helping me launch my career. And uh, a couple years later, I moved to Los Angeles. So, you know, I got a Letterman, The Tonight Show. And uh, that was my career. That was my desire was to be a, comedic, uh, a comedian. Okay. But then I got this job on Roseanne, and uh, it kind of my writing career took off. Right. So I just pursued that for a decade, and I, I didn't really do any almost any stand up for about twelve years because um, I just fell out of it, and um, and uh, and I was so busy on Roseanne that we were working seventy hours a week. Yeah. I mean, till two in the morning. Yeah, people four have in the no morning, idea. I know. And uh, on sun, uh, on you know, like we'd get Sunday off. You know, Christmas week, we'd have two days off. And, uh, you know, your life is not your own. And I was just exhausted. I used to work 45 minutes a night. Now I'm working 14 <laughs> hours a day. Yeah. And I was, it was uh, all-consuming. And then, uh, but in the last few years, Norm MacDonald, who's a good friend of mine from the original Yuck Yucks days, yeah. uh, he started getting back into stand-up, and we were both talking about it, that we missed it. And he asked me if I uh, would open for him, and I started working on a— a whole new act right so and now I just and it became uh, w- which was my current interest one of the reasons I wanted to do it is I wanted to do a a book on religion 
and maybe develop a one-man show. So eventually that became my entire act. That's what I do now. I'm the uh, the holy atheist is my uh, right, and so and you have a, and that now has extended itself to a podcast, which is called yes. the Holy Atheist. Yes, coincidentally. Okay, and well, it's so not a coincidence. In in just a basic definition, because you know there's so many podcasts, and everyone has to you know right. put themselves in a category to, for people to understand. Categorize what the Holy Atheist is about. Well, it's a basically it's a, a humorous uh, examination of beliefs, mm-hmm. especially religious beliefs. And obviously, coming at it from a non-believer point of view, but I'm not out to to mock anything or be snide. I, I'm very sincerely interested in this topic, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of stuff I really care about, you know, like uh, stem cell research and circumcision. Right. I mean, people like circumcision. And now, in my act, you know, I do try to be. My accent is on humor. Right. But I do care about this stuff. I sure. think, uh, you know, the like we talk about, uh, like why. This covenant that we made with God involves the penis. Do, do we think that's a coincidence? <laughs> right. You know, like, because there's this whole thing with sex and religion. Yeah, yeah. And then, because uh, it could have been our tonsils. Right, yeah. yeah. Right? Oh, for sure. And we go, tonsils? What does that have to do with religion? It's not like the penis. Right. But uh, it's uh, people don't even know the purpose of circumcision was to lessen sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. And now, if you were born anywhere in the 1950s and 60s, Eighty-nine to percent of the boys were circumcised. Well, it's more than more of a North American thing, isn't it? Totally. Yeah, yeah. It used to be in Europe, and they stopped doing it. Right. And but we and still now do you have to here. pay for it if you want it done in Canada. Now you have really? to pay for it in Canada. Yeah. Oh, that's well. That's that's how they stopped it in Britain. Uh, is they stopped uh, supporting it with their insurance yes. in the forties or something, and then they just stopped doing it. Like I have three children. One is circumcised only oh, really? because. There was a problem. He was born with... that way. Thanks, Dave. Uh, but one he, one, he had a problem with his penis, and so they, to correct it, they had to circumcise really? it. Really? So, but my other two are not. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. See, it's, it's hard for me because I am not an atheist. I'm more of an agnostic, uh-huh. um, but uh, I have three children that are in Catholic school because wow. my wife is Catholic and prefers it that way, and it is a bit of a stumbling block for me. Did you? Did you ever? Did we? Have you always been uh, an atheist? Or no, you, you no, brought no. up. Uh, I was brought believing? up. Uh, uh, I'm Jewish by personality, <laughs> right? Uh, and I did. I wasn't into the the formal. I was never into formalized religion, and I was kind of forced to, to go to Hebrew school. Did you have a breaking point? Uh, I did actually, but it's kind of a long story. I was actually uh, 21. Uh, I was at this Rolling Stones concert in Nice, and there was uh, we were Dave attacked is already by, hard right now. Keep going by bodyguard. These motorcycle gang bodyguards are trying to get the audience back, and uh, people were clubbed, and there was 30, 40 people put in the hospital, and um, it was just that experience of seeing violence and like almost, you were you saw it uh, close up close. I almost hurt? was. I was. Uh, you were almost clubbed by. I was almost angel? clubbed. Oh the, my God. the girl I was with, who I barely knew, we were both running. It was one of those wild things. I mean, it's not a. We were just all waiting for the concert to start. We were like sitting so tightly that our you know sitting on the ground with my somebody was against my knees, my back was against somebody Jeez. else's knees. It was all especially toward the audience, so tightly packed. Because everybody had kept going forward. It was, the concert had been going on for a couple of hours until the Stones were going to come on. Right. So by the, And we worked our way to the front. And then suddenly, like an explosion of people, people started running back. And uh, you couldn't see what they were running from until more of them, until you finally, the like an explosion of people, suddenly the whole area was clearing within seconds. And, and you didn't start running until you saw what they were running from. And then suddenly you saw, like, there was nobody else but these guys coming with clubs at you. And just all these – the people just sort of stood up almost all at once where I was lifted up by the people. Mm-hmm. Then you're running and there's people on the ground and there's blood. And uh, and my the girl I was with stumbled and I, uh, I lay down on top of her because the guy was about to club her. And I just looked at him and I just said, uh, please, in French – because we were in France. Right. Maybe he right. didn't speak French. I don't know. Right, right. That would have been a tough one if he had yeah. been an Italian uh, motorcycle guy. I have no idea. But he, our eyes met, and he just went on and clubbed somebody else. But uh, that shocked me, right. and uh, it it changed the way I, I looked at the world. And uh, it's interesting. We all know violence takes place all the time. Mm-hmm. But it, there's something that, that when you experience it or even witness it, it uh, you can't— Think about things the same way. You, it, you know, 
And that kind of started a whole questioning until eventually I came out the other side kind of uh, into more spirituality and Zen and different things. And, and, a, and a really big Beatles fan. I was like, <laughs> he's like fuck you know, the Stones, man. I could not listen fuck to the, the Stones. Stones for years after yeah. that. But I, can, also, I can now. But atheism is now the new kind of cool, really. I mean, look, you've got Richard Dawkins. Yeah. You have all these other people that are, are almost like rock and roll televangelists projected to be on TV shows. They have their, their books, you know. And 10 years ago, there may not have been a possibility of having a podcast called The Holy Atheist. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a wave, uh, and I can feel it with the audiences, that they laugh at more stuff now, that I some stuff that didn't work before, now mm-hmm. it's working. And I, I think it's because they're just more re- receptive to it. But um, And so how many episodes have you done so far? Three. Uh, well, that's, <laughs> I did, okay. I just... Uh, I, I, I just went to India, actually. I just got back a couple of weeks ago. I... I Sometimes go there and meditate, but uh, so I kind of had to whip up a few podcasts to get mm-hmm. the name because yep. I didn't want to lose the name, yep. the Holy Atheist. And uh, but now that I'm back, I'm gonna my next podcast is going to be about circumcision. Oh, cool. Okay. So, so out. if people if people want to get this, where do they go? iTunes. They can go to Holy... iTunes, or they can go to my website, theholyatheist.com, or just look up the Holy Atheist on iTunes and Twitter, and, that, and they can and Twitter. Uh, what's it called? The Holy Atheist. Norm Norm McDonald. Gave me a, a shout out to his followers the other day. Yep, yep. And I went from 300 followers to five, uh, well, now I have 5,000. Wow. But I went to 300 to 3,000 in about three and a half hours. Great. It was incredible. Like, wow. That's, all these that's the future of, of, of performance and that's the future of show business is linking through other people and telling them about it. I mean, that's the great thing about Twitter, right? One Twitter from Russell Peters and all of a sudden you've got a full account. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, and it's not like it's some big like big wigs in a, in a marketing and some high rise. No. It's sort of like when performers are, are endorsing other performers, which I think is great. Yeah. And I, I love Twitter. It's 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 made for me because I was born to tweet. Right. Right. You right. Because you think of a funny thing and it's short and, uh, you know, Facebook I'm still working on. That's a really shitty motto for a biker gang, though. Born to tweet. <laughs> no, you could not put it on your your motorcycle jacket. You're not going to be clubbing anyone in France with that. Okay, well, uh, we are out of time, but uh, next time you're in town, please uh, please come back and we'll talk more about atheism. And uh, by the time you get to six episodes, we'll be rolling on. Excellent, thank you. God bless. Thanks, guys. All right, that was Stevie Ray Fromstein. Uh, Stick with us. After the break, we're going to be playing clips from Craig Campbell, Glenn Wool, and Stuart Silver on Anything Goes. Bite the pillow. It's going in dry. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. They're giving away puppies in the back of their van. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. Okay, we're back. Uh, this has been a bad year uh, for stand-up comedy. <laughs> I just I, I didn't know where you were going with. Uh, death, I, th- I thought you were deaths. just going to say oh, the deaths. Yes, yeah. oh, the deaths are horrible. I thought you were just going to say this has been a bad year and then move on to something else. But anyway, sorry, it's been a bad. Yes, it's been awful. Okay, go. Oh my God, Dave! What? It's been yes, been terrible. The deaths, right, Darren? You talk about the deaths. Uh, it has been a bad year for stand-up comedy. Uh, many, many uh, great comics passed away this year, from Patrice O'Neill, uh, Robert Schimmel, uh, Jocko Alston, Friends of the North, uh, who knows Jocko, uh, of course. And Stuart Silver was a very, very good friend of mine, and he passed away uh, less than a month ago. So we do want to play uh, a clip from someone that has passed away. Unfortunately, Stuart couldn't get on the show. I did want him on the show because um, he was a collector of comic books and a lot of pop culture stuff. Uh, and he would never shut up. And that guy would never oh, shut up. My- God, talk about the dead, Dave. Go I, ahead. I, no, I I I love Stuart. He was a, yeah. he was a very funny guy, yeah. excellent, uh, you know, uh, joke writer, sure. and uh, he was uh, he always you'd always come off stage, and whether you wanted it or not, he had like four or five tags for a joke, and uh, but yeah, a, a good guy. It's uh, and he seemed to be turning things around in his life, and yeah. uh, he was going to be moving down to New York, but uh, he was taken away from us uh, far too early. I, I like to say he uh, passed away from kind of a heart attack or a congenital heart defect. I'm not, they're not exactly sure, but I think really what happened is heart finally told his mouth enough. <laughs> okay, well then that makes up for all the <laughs> shitty things that I just said. Let's go to a clip. Oh my Here's God! Stuart yeah. Silver called "Know What Happens." Oh, how we doing, folks? How we doing? Huh? 
Before I even get started, I just want to, I had something happen to me today that was probably one of the more ridiculous things that ever happened to me, but it's funny, what the hell, let's just share it. I had to meet my friend at McDonald's for noon, but I went to bed at 6 this morning, so I got up at 11.30, half dead, half exhausted, no time to shower. I just grabbed a pair of pants that had been on the floor for like a week. You ever do this, hoping it all works out okay? Yeah. Throw the pants on, run to McDonald's, I'm standing in line with the guy, I'm half exhausted, and I feel something irritating my leg. I'm feeling like scratching a couple times. I guess I shook my leg a little too hard. There's a, a one-week-old pair of underwear rolls on the floor. <laughs> what are you like? Oh my God! Uh, uh, uh. Ta-da! Did a couple tricks for the moon behind me and headed off to Burger King where nobody knows me. And that is the key to life. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, you know what? No, I, yeah, I have one of those days where you're just having trouble with service people. I bought a, a small little bottle of pop today, too. I give it to the kid behind the counter. He takes it. He scans it. Nothing showing up. So he scans it back. Nothing. Back and forth and back. And I'm like, hey, shake that thing while you're doing it. I got to drink that. What are you doing? You know? He's like, well, I don't know how much it is. I think it's free if it warms up in your hand. How is that? Right? <laughs> Ugh, that's how the people you have to live with. But nice to be here. Nice to be here in Ontario. I am from Montreal originally. You know one thing, by the way, I've never gone used to in this province? You have that two chevrons rule, driving in and out of town. I never quite figured it out. I'm from Montreal, the worst drivers on the planet, all right? This is how we, yeah, but this is how we see it, you know? When you're banging into the guy in front of you, you're too close, all right? right? You guys have these, these sideways Vs. They look like greater than signs from high school. So now it's a math example when I'm driving. Oh, this is great. Let me see my car. Well, it's greater than your car. Uh, get the hell out of the way, I guess. I don't know how this works. I never figured it out. What if the guy behind me whizzes by? Do I have to catch up five chevrons to keep two behind this guy? I mean, what am I doing here? Now, how many people actually speak French? All right, way to, way to keep the country together, people. That's nice. The world thinks they're bilingual and you're just bursting that dream right there, you know? You ever watch French TV, anybody? Yeah? What about dirty French movies late at night? Yeah! We're all a little bilingual when you need to be, huh? I'm watching some French TV today with a friend of mine who's half Japanese, half Native American. His name's Nissan Pathfinder. And, uh... <laughs> we're, uh, we're watching, you know, we're watching Flipper in French. You ever see Flipper in French? Uh, flipper, if you speak French. Uh, remember the verbs, je flip, te flip, il flip, nous flipperons, vous flipperez. You learned this stuff in high school, people, that much I know. You have to see the show, because in English, in English he sounds like a dolphin, you know, like, You gotta see it in French, it's completely different, eh? It's like, And he's smoking, which I think is a problem, too, when you're a dolphin, eh? Like, what the hell is that, you know? All right, that was Stuart Silver. And up next, uh, a comic who uh, I have looked up to for many years and has left Canada probably about 10, 12 years ago and now bases his life in England and around the world. His name is Craig Campbell. You may recognize him as the human host of Ed's Night Party for many years. Oh my He's God. also had as many uh, specials on the Comedy Network yeah. and uh, Just for Laughs. And he's uh, massive in England and one of the most respected comics that ever came out of Canada. And unfortunately, a whole young generation of comics don't even know who Craig Campbell is, but they which also, is sad. Yeah. Yeah, and also, but a lot of uh, comics don't realize how much uh, of an influence he had on yes. other comics. So it's sort of like there's, I've seen comics that are influenced by the people who are influenced by Craig right. Campbell, and it's, you know, people don't know the chain of influence there. For sure. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, Craig Campbell. Look him up. Uh, he's got uh, some great clips on YouTube. Uh, this clip is called The Motorcycle Accident. It's a classic Craig Campbell clip. Uh, she was always upset that I went out and bought a motorbike, and that always scared her. Women scared of motorbikes? Some gals? My mom was. Oh. Any guy have to bring a motorbike home to your mom? Yeah? She handle it well? Just freaks out. My mom met me at the end of the block, pretty much. You know, like three miles off, she heard me coming. So, what's your new name? What are you talking about, mom? I thought we had a little talk. As long as you're in this family, you don't have a motorbike. But now I see you have a motorbike. So... What's your new name? <laughs> I'm trying to show her that I'm competent. I can own a bike at this age. And I put down the kickstand, catch it with my pant leg. Wow! <laughs> oh, mom, the muffler's hot! <laughs> Where's your father? <laughs> that for a few years. <laughs> Getting bikes insured is a real pain in the hoop. Anybody had to go do that? 
They always try and overcharge you for insurance, you know. The least amount of insurance that you can get for a motorcycle is 200,000 liability. And that's what motorcyclists want, the very least amount you can get. But you go into the office, and there's always some freak planted there, some guy trying to sell you a way more insurance than you need. Oh, no! Oh, no! You need a million! You're fucking nuts! If you go on those roads with less than a million. I'm sitting there thinking, Jesus, if I'm in an accident that causes a million dollars damage. Am I really going to benefit? Boy, will I be one rich head. Hey, roll that cash over here where I can lick it. I'm a loaded noggin. A balaclava for Christmas? How'd you guess? Well, Jeff got you the sunglasses. I, uh, had a little bike wipeout. I, uh, I swerved around an animal and caught a post. First part of the accident's quite fun because you're in the air. Woo, hey! I'm okay. And I grab the post. Whack! But when you're in that kind of pain, your brain says, best not let him know. Oh, he's not prepared to deal with this. So it puts you into shock. And if you haven't been in shock before, I'll tell you, that's your body's house party happening. Hey, is that my femur? Look over my motorbike, a little twisted piece of metal, but the signal light's flashing. So right away in shock, I think, better get over there and turn that off. Certainly wouldn't want to wear out my battery. I was laying in the ditch for half an hour. Two bikers come over the top and say, hey, you okay? I'm just trying to snare an animal. Of course, I'm wearing my blood and skin camouflage. <laughs> Bikers generally scare me. The big Harley guys. I had a nightmare that I hit a guy in a Harley and I didn't kill him. <laughs> you can be pretty sure he'll settle out of court, huh? <laughs> Not gonna call anybody, son. I'll just smack you till you leak. Shouldn't we involve the authorities? I'm already leaking. They went and called an ambulance for me, and uh, we were back in the woods in a place called Lillooet, British Columbia, and they, uh, they sent three student nurses in a Chevy Sprint. <laughs> and the first thing that they check for in a motorcycle victim, they assume that you've broken your spine, and they'll check you for priapism. Generally, if a guy breaks his back, he'll get a heart on him. That's what they look for. So. Three student nurses checking me for wood. <laughs> Still can't move my toes. <laughs> he must have broken his back just now. Oh, yeah, keep fiddling. I think she's going to snap. <laughs> Took me to the hospital and pumped me full of Demerol. That's the very first thing they did. Pumped me full of Demerol. Demerol veterans. Second thing they do, brilliant move, sending the cop to find out what happened in the accident. Well, as I recall, officer... I was in my X-Wing fighter. All of a sudden, shit, they got R2. Chewie couldn't fix it, man. You better come back another time. Gumroll is heavy, man. They gave it to me once every four hours, and you learned to predict that. 
359, there you go. No, I, I cleaned it off myself. You just go ahead. About five days into being on Demerol, I realized I haven't taken a dump. So I call the nurse in, you know. Like I want to tell her, at this point I'm already falling in love with her. You know? She's beautiful and brings me drugs every morning. <laughs> hey, woman of my dreams, I'm full of shit over here. I'm trying to be as subtle as I can when I'm explaining it. I'm like, um, um, uh, I eat. I, I eat and, no, oh, that part's bingo, that's okay. And, and then I wait. And nothing. And she saw it coming a mile off. She said, you're having trouble with the movement. Uh, not just one. A whole bunch of movement problems. I checked the book, I'm backlogged. And she actually asked me this. She said, would you like me to get you something for that? I'm like, no, I'm going for a record. <laughs> of course I want help. What the hell do you think I want? My name in a book somewhere? <laughs> All right, I'll go for two weeks. Spot me. <laughs> 23 days, my belly button burst. Woohoo! <laughs> I am the champion, my friend. She wouldn't let that happen. She felt that it would be in my best interest to take a laxative. And uh, if you ever, ever have to go to the hospital and they bring you a small pink laxative, very little bit, long way. If you have a thimble full, you can paint a barn. I slapped this stuff back and I woke up the next morning like I have never woken up in my life. <laughs> Waddle down to the bathroom. Of course, I got broken ribs, so I can't push. <laughs> oh, just shoot me, Lord. Just put a bullet in my head, big fella. I always used to pretend that I was dead for the nurse. Anybody ever go to the hospital and do that? It's great, because they keep the floors squeaky clean and the nurses wear very clean shoes and you can hear them coming for miles to check on you. Like, ee, 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 ee. So I take the opportunity to hyperventilate. <laughs> Every morning she'd come in and just freak ah! for a second, you know, and then she'd realize what had happened. Oh, that'd be very funny, very funny. <laughs> And one morning I woke up with a zipper on my nose and a tag on my toe. Didn't feel that Demerol shot, did you, prick? <laughs> so, you want to play dead with a professional? Mm. <laughs> Nurses are amazing women. because uh, They might say no, but they'll never say, Gross. I can't believe the stuff that they can tolerate without puking. Like, I, I watch the Operation channel. Do you watch that channel? Some people do. It's all right. It's a cool channel. But they should really warn you that it's on. They really should, you know? Because you're sitting at home with half a pizza in your gut channel surfing. Oh, Is this Roger's Cable? You owe me a pizza, buddy. All right, that was 10 minutes of Craig Campbell. There's a reason we wanted him to have a clip that long. He is that great. And hopefully me and Dave are going to go to England in the new year and record an interview with Craig. He very rarely gets back to Canada, definitely not in Toronto. He originally was from the West Coast, so he always goes back to Vancouver for Christmas or January for a big snowboarding comedy tour with Dan Quinn and other comics like Glenn Wool, who we're leading into now with a clip. Uh, what do you want to say about Glenn Wool, Dave? 
well, uh, Glenn was sort of one of those guys. He didn't stay very long in, in Canada. No. Uh, he's had appearances on the uh, La Mark Marin uh, podcast. Yes. He's been on What the Fuck. And yep. uh, uh, very, very funny guy. And still, he maintains a lot of like... I don't. I don't want to say Canadiana. That's not really. Right. But he's very. Both Craig and Glenn are very Canadian in their act. Yeah, they're and, both. They're very. They're very kind of Canadiana storyteller kind of comics. They're not one-liners like a Stuart Francis, but definitely a Canadian kind of bent to what they're saying. Right. Uh, Glenn, pretty much. I mean, I don't know his whole story, but I worked with him in the late '90s in Edinburgh, and he just left Canada because he just saw the road here was shit and the industry was shit, and why even try to get ahead here? He just pretty much got to a certain level and right, went right to England. Like many comics do, Tom Stage, Sean Collins, lots of expats, Jason Rouse, Tommy Campbell. I mean, the list is very, very long. Uh, Phil Nickel from the the Juice Pigs is massive, massive over in in England uh, with his uh, one-man shows at Edinburgh. So we wanted to play a clip of someone that maybe will eventually come on the show or at least is an expat that you may want to go and check out. So if you have time, check out Glenn Wool on YouTube. Uh, This clip is called The Gay Bash. I'll tell you the story. Uh, about 10 years ago, I was with some other comedians in Vancouver. We went for a dollar a slice pizza in the West End of Vancouver, which is a very high gay population area of Vancouver. And the nightclubs had just gotten out, so it was full of the high gays. <laughs> there was a restaurant across the street from us uh, that had a high gay clientele, and I assume they were in there eating. <laughs> These two Camaros pulled up from the suburbs, which is never the start to a good story. (laughs) Two big shiny cars came in from out of town, and the children rejoiced. (laughs) And he screeched up, and all these guys got out of the Camaros, and they had baseball bats and sticks, and they'd come to do a gay bashing, but they they didn't know any gay people except all the other people in the car with them. (laughs) That's not really the kind of thing a normal heterosexual would do with this Friday night. Like, yeah, let's go to where they live. I'm gonna punch one right in the cock. in but they think it's gonna be like a Benny Hill sketch from the 60s like they'll get in there and all the gay people be oh my god what's happening Ah!" and it was like a Benny Hill sketch and that they ran in then ran out one second later being chased by the weapons they brought in with them by some of the muscliest leather-clad homosexuals you've ever seen in your life it was fucking beautiful Have you ever seen a man in a slightly too small leather cop hat at a jaunty angle in a pink singlet with muscles like a snake that swallowed a pig chase a man with a baseball bat in his hand and chase the other man who has a mullet? It's fucking lovely. If you get one tattoo in your life, make it that image. And the gay guys were cool, too, because these guys were young who did it. They were, like, late teens, early 20s, and the gay guys were smart because they didn't, they didn't actually hit the guys with the sticks because bruises heal. They did a much smarter thing. They beat the shit out of the cars. Because now these guys got to go home to their parents' house. Next morning, their dad's like, Son, what happened to the car? Uh... Bikers. Yeah, there was a, a, a biker, um, a cowboy, red Indian, army guy, policeman. Why didn't he break it up? Okay, that was Glenn Wool, and that wraps up our uh, year in review of clips. And oh, well, yeah, this is uh, this is our. Uh... This is our uh, technically 2011, but we're, you're going to be hearing it in 2012. I yep. hope you all had a happy new year. Yes, for sure. And uh, you, uh, hope you, Santa you was made good it you. through and uh, our hopes for the apocalypse. And uh, was it December 20th? December 12th, I believe. Or 21st. I know it's a 1-2. It's December 21st. 21st? 2012. Oh, man. The Mayans are going to fucking party the I, night before. 
well, I am so excited. Yeah, I'm going to be in Mexico that do week. Do it Mayan style, yeah. Yep, yep. Do oh, it Mayan yeah. style? What's yep. that? You use a spear inside her? I don't uh, know. What's Mayan style? What's Mayan style? No, I don't know what I, that uh, is. We chop For, our heads from up. from fisting we, the turkey, my grandmother inventing the fisting. We chop our the, heads. We chop our heads off and sacrifice ourselves to the gods. Oh, okay. At the end of you it. go first. You, you go know, first. It, anyways, I, I won't get into it. But there, anyways, it was an old, the sporting event that they would play in the Mayan culture. They'd, yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, please tune in next week. Uh, next week, Terry Clement's going to be here. We have some big guests coming up in January. Scott Thompson, uh, James Cunningham from the Food Network's uh, Eat Street. Yep. Uh, and also uh, we have um, a couple other people like James B., a great uh, uh, jazz musician and also a big band leader. Music enthusiast. Music enthusiast and a pop culture kind of expert. And uh, that's it. So we just want to give a shout out to Victoria and uh, Paulie. Want a new name? Uh, the person who puts this show together. Formerly Paul, the, the intern. intern, but he's he's full time now, so we yeah. can't call him the intern anymore. So uh, that's it. So be uh, have a great uh, New Year's Eve. And no, you, they've already had a great New Year's Eve. Yeah, ha- yeah, yeah. Have a great one next year. Yeah. Well. Okay. All right. See you soon. Listen to you soon, or you'll be listening to us soon. That was the most awkward ending. It wasn't the most awkward ever, ending. Ever. It was not the most awkward. It was. No, there have been more awkward endings. I smile and wave.